on the occasion of the bicentennial commemoration of Heinrich Schliemann's birth, the archives of the American School of Classical Studies at Athens present an online exhibition dedicated to his life and work, accompanied by a series of podcasts. Our invited guests are academics and researchers who have delved into the life and work of Heinrich Schliemann. 85 years have passed since Andromache Schliemann Melas and Agamemnon Schliemann, Heinrich Schliemann's two children, decided to transfer the bulk of the Heinrich Schliemann papers to the American School of Classical Studies at Athens premises. That happened in 1936. However, Schliemann-related archival material had already begun to reach the school in 1923. For the long and difficult history of the Heinrich Schliemann's papers, we have today Dr. Stephanie Kennel, independent researcher and freelance language specialist, author of the article Schliemann and his papers, a tale from the archives. Dr. Kennel belongs to the group of academics and researchers who dig more deeply into Schliemann's life and work. As she has affirmed, she wants to change what people think they know about Schliemann. Dr. Kennel, thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you. Your article, published in Hesperia in 2007, is a product of exhaustive research on the history of the Schliemann papers and will serve as a basis for our discussion. When and how did the school acquire full custody of the Heinrich Schliemann papers? It really starts back when, when Schliemann died in 1890. He died in late December, and after that, his family still kept his papers at the Iliumalathron, his mansion in downtown Athens. But when Sophia sold the house and moved to Paleofalero in 1927, they were packed up. In 1936, as you've already mentioned, on the advice of Georg Caro, who was then head of the Athens branch of the German Archaeological Institute, which I will from here on call the DAI, Schliemann's heirs decided that the American School's Gennadius Library would be a safe repository for the papers, but the family continued to own and control scholarly access to them. What they handed over to the school had already begun to be dispersed, however, because the inventory that Ernst Meyer made in 1937 recorded no incoming letters for the year 1890. Those letters were likely the first items to go missing, as Schliemann dies, died before the end of that year and was never able to gather up and bind the 1890 incoming items. A variety of factors, not least the basic impossibility of managing access to and preserving a collection still controlled by the Melas family, eventually persuaded the Gennadius Library's directors and the American School's administration to purchase the bulk of the papers from Schliemann's heirs in 1962, thanks to a grant from the pharmaceutical magnate Eli Lilly of Indianapolis. Lynn and Gray Poole's cultivation of Alex Melas, Schliemann's last surviving Greek heir, led to the acquisition of another smaller set of papers, uh, amounting to about 650-odd letters, in 1966. The purchase was again funded by the Lilly Foundation. A long history. Well, the work of Ludwig and Meyer, the two German biographers of Heinrich Schliemann, enabled many readers to know Schliemann. How did these men get the Schliemann family's permission to have unrestricted access to his papers? How did they exploit that permission, if we can use that? Ah, okay. Well, if, if I may, I'd like to break this up into, into a, a couple of... Uh, a couple of sections. First of all, the Germans, Ludwig and Meyer. Uh, Emil Ludwig 
was already a best-selling literary biographer. He, his subjects include Napoleon and Bismarck, and he, he, he wrote big popular books on, on, on big ideas and big men. And he also uh, happened to have met Schliemann while he was still a child at, at one of the, the spas that, uh, that Schliemann uh, frequented when he was not feeling his best. Um, but he, he made contact with the heirs uh, in, the, in the late 20s or early 30s. Uh, and um, there, 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 there is a bit more that I will say about this. Well, Ernst Meyer, uh, the other biographer, first biographer of, of Schliemann, in the German nationalist tradition, let us say, traded on his existing work with Schliemann's autobiography and his correspondence in German hands. When I was in, 2000, in Berlin in 2007, I was able to work in the archives of the DAI, the German Archaeological Institute in Berlin, and I came across an unpublished memoir written by Lena Wenck, uh, who later became Georg Caro's wife. She was first his secretary, and she also happens to have been Schliemann's great-niece. She was the granddaughter of cousin Adolf, the, the, man, the man who helped Schliemann get his PhD from Rostock. Anyway, Elena Wenck claimed that Ludwig clearly beguiled Sophia and, and Andromache and, and, and sweet-talked them into, them into giving him wide-ranging access to the letters, diaries, and other papers. Um, but the result, whose subtitle, as you will probably know, is called Story of a Gold Seeker, aroused the family's justifiable displeasure and turned them against biographers generally. Ernst Meyer managed to gain, after that, the family's confidence by taking advantage of Caro's long and friendly relationship with the whole Schliemann family, since he had been involved in, in archaeology in Athens since the beginning of the, uh, the 20th century. Uh, and he kept invoking his eternal gratitude if they could just introduce him and explain to them. And, uh, and uh, so Ludwig and Meyer exploited that permission. Um, uh, it comes out like this. Uh, as, as I already mentioned, Ludwig made generous use of both the letters and the diaries, as well as some of the other papers, to produce a genuinely multifaceted portrait of Schliemann, warts and all, uh, along with uh, his, his extraordinary talents. But Ludwig's literary priorities created a vision that was more candid and less flattering than the family and German nationalism liked. And this ended up making him persona non grata, both with the family and in Germany generally. He was also a, uh, a, an assimilated Jew. He was simply shut out of the Schliemann Melas circle, and out of Germany. His, his books were burned by the Nazis. He eventually went into exile in Switzerland. Meyer, on the other hand, enjoyed official approval from the family. Um, he was able to win over not only Sophia while she was alive, but also Andromache and um, Agamemnon, who was in Paris most of the time, and often at loggerheads with his his uh, his sister, but uh, he, he won over both of them. But Meyer accomplished relatively little between 1936 and his death in 1968, if we consider the extent of the Schliemann papers that the family 
handed over to the, the Gennadius Library in 1936, and that he supposedly did a, a, an inventory of in 1937. It's only one page. It's very, very sketchy. Uh, there are about 60,000 letters in it, I think probably more, 18 diaries that we know of, and thousands of financial records, including ledgers, and there are lots of other types of documents and photographs. Meyer managed to publish only three volumes of letters that contain a highly abridged and tendentious selection of letters, uh, some articles on various aspects of Schliemann, mostly in obscure provincial journals that are virtually impossible to lay one's hands on nowadays, and a biography of Schliemann that came out in 1968 and has very, very few footnotes and uh, is not uh, what I would call a work of, of thorough scholarship. He also, Meyer also managed to borrow and lose parts of the papers during the Nazi occupation of Greece in World War II when he got access to the Gennadius Library, which was otherwise locked up, uh, and uh, took them back to his uh, lodgings in uh, a, a suburb of Athens and didn't manage to return all of them. And some of them he took back to Germany for what he called safekeeping, but they never returned. He also kept other other scholars away from the papers. Um, well, you have explored the correspondence of Heinrich Schliemann for many years. I mean, both as a researcher and as cataloger of the correspondence. Can you please describe for us the sort of work you have done with a database of incoming and outgoing correspondence, and in what ways this can facilitate the work of researchers? My primary responsibility when I first started working on the database was the outgoing correspondence, the 43 books of copies of letters that Schliemann sent to his correspondence. Uh, there was already a card, a card index of incoming correspondence that had been made up at the behest of David Trail, a, uh, a scholar of uh, Schliemann's papers who started work in the 1970s and realized more records ought to be, ought to be kept. Um, doing, doing the outgoing database required multilingual capabilities, uh, especially for Russian. And then, uh, as you know, the number of languages Schliemann communicated in uh, was, was well over a dozen. And this also required a good deal of research. And when I first started back at the beginning of the 2000s, there wasn't that much available on the internet. And uh, it, was, it was much harder to find things out then than it is now, which is... Uh, in fact, an opportunity for, for further, further improvement of the database. I had to establish identities and locations, place names, and standard spellings and transliterations for all the names. By putting in more information, I believe that the database can uh, facilitate uh, research work um, far beyond what the, uh, the, the the old card catalog for the incoming letters could. Uh, there's a lot, it's a lot more comprehensive. It's trying, it tries to be much more detailed and more accurate. So um, it can corroborate or correct existing information um, about um, various correspondence of Schliemann. Um, for instance, um, 
uh, Schliemann's correspondence with uh, the German physician Rudolf Virchow has been published. Uh, was, it was published about uh, 20, 25 years ago by a team of German scholars. But um, these, these letters were in, in German hands and taking that, uh, that information together with internal records from the Gennadius Library from the 1950s, correspondence with the uh, the library's administration from people um, trying to uh, trying to use the collection, it indicates that dozens of letters that ended up in this publication uh, had evidently been taken to Germany by Meyer from here in Athens without his notifying the Gennadius Library. They must have been in this collection. What has open access to the papers offered to research on Schliemann? I mean, both when the school acquired full control of the papers and now that the digitization of the material is making more and more of it freely available online. Since the 1960s, once the school purchased the papers, it meant that any researcher with, with proper credentials and proper recommendations who can come to Athens uh, could be allowed access to the papers and... Um, examine uh, individual documents or um, sections of the collection of specific interest in person. But that was only in person. One still had to come to Athens physically. And if you could not come to Athens in person to take notes, you were pretty much stuck because you couldn't take pictures. But digitization, digital imaging, um, has changed this radically. Um, the diaries and the letters from the late 1860s on, and some of the most important individual earlier letters have been digitized and put uh, on the school's webpage in PDF form, which has opened them up to an entire world of researchers and readers who can access them from anywhere on the globe. Dr. Kendall, thank you very much for sharing all your knowledge on Schliemann.